I ask you all to direct your attention to the defendant, Mrs. Attinger. Now keep looking at her, keep watching, listen carefully and look at her, look at her hard. Now imagine her a man. Go on now, use your imaginations. Think of her as a man sitting there accused of a like crime. A husband and wife, who are both attorneys, take opposite sides in a high-profile case, putting a strain on their marriage. Listen as we chat about helmets for infants, the worst kind of candy, and how Madonna is different from DJ Khaled. Then we find out if Adam's rib stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Test of Time, the podcast where we look at old movies, older movies, at least 15 years old, and see if they still hold up today. I'm James Brief, and with me always is my buddy, my pal, Alan Noah. Hi, that's me, and today we're talking about a movie that's way more than 15 years old. It's from the 40s, the 1940s, James. That's right. That's a long time ago. Mm Mm-hmm. This movie came out before color was invented. Well. The movie was in black and white. Oh, you make a strong case. I think I do, yeah. You know, I heard something recently, Al. What did you hear? They announced that the next Zelda game is going to be delayed for a while, to at least 2023. Shocking no one. And you know what I think that means? That there's going to be a new Nintendo console in 2023? Possibly. Because Nintendo has a history when... uh, console is getting towards the end of its life and there's another zelda coming out that they still release it for that system but really it turns into a launch uh, title for the next system on the gamecube there was the legend of zelda the wind waker then they announced it was going to be a second legend of zelda for the system it kept getting delayed eventually becoming a launch title for the wii that was uh the legend of zelda twilight princess mm-hmm. and released on both of those systems and then a few years later on the nintendo wii u which by then i guess nintendo had probably figured we're not really gonna make gangbuster uh, dollars on they had this great idea with the switch and instead of releasing a uh, breath of the wild on the wii u it, it was delayed and then they released it simultaneously on the wii u and as a launch title for the switch right so the fact that they're having a sequel to breath of the wild I think that might mean maybe it's a Switch 2. Maybe. Or some kind of like next Switch. You know, they've had like HD Switches. And I think it's something I could sell systems, another Breath of the Wild. Well, sure. I mean, Breath of the Wild was a huge game for Switch. It sold very well. Critics loved it. I loved it. My son Eli loved it. And yeah, I mean, I think that would definitely move systems. The question is, what will that new system be? What's the hook? What's the gimmick? You know, it's not going to just be the Switch, but higher resolution. That's not what Nintendo does. 
Well, I think Nintendo has a reputation for completely uh, subverting your expectations. No one expected what the Wii turned out to be, and no one was expecting the Switch. The DS, the 3DS, uh, you know, I think you could predict what the PlayStation 6 will be. It will be a much faster PlayStation 5. The next Nintendo system, you have no idea. Right. But as you know, Nintendo is not just a video game system. They've been around since the 19th century, a.k.a. the 1800s. Yeah, with the trading cards. Right. And something that is only half as old as Nintendo is the movie we're going to review today. Right. So you picked this movie. I had never heard of it or seen it. And I don't think I'd ever seen any Spencer Tracy or Catherine Hepburn movies. And they've done a bunch together. And I think this will be the second uh, celebrity that we've seen from uh, Madonna's uh, Vogue, uh, of the uh, (laughs) Vogue song from uh, the most famous uh, stars of the Golden Age. Remember, it was like Brando, Jimmy Dean. And then there was Grace Kelly. Harlow Jean. Catherine's in there. I think she just says Catherine. Catherine, we love you. Doesn't she say? No, it's uh, Betty Davis. Betty Davis, we love you. I'm pretty sure Catherine is, is in there. Catherine Hepburn's in there. Oh, okay. I don't believe we've done anyone else in our song. Uh, Well, Brando. I said Brando. This is the second one. Well, we have seen Madonna. (laughs) Right, but she doesn't say her own name in the song. Yeah, she's not DJ Khaled. Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, So this film, I had no idea what the plot was about. I'm sure you didn't either. No. Um, This movie is about a husband and wife, Adam and Amanda Bonner. They're both lawyers. And after a woman shoots her cheating husband, Adam is hired to be the prosecutor in the case, and Amanda takes the job as defense lawyer. As both Amanda and Adam try to win the case, their marriage becomes strained, with both lawyers truly believing that they are right and that their spouse is wrong. Uh Uh-oh, trouble in paradise. So when this movie came out in 1949, long before you and I were alive, how did it do at the old box office, back when movie tickets cost a nickel? Yeah, I mean, if movie tickets cost a nickel, then this movie sold nearly 60 million tickets because the film earned almost $3 million in the U.S. and Canada and 976000 elsewhere, and there was a net profit $826,000. And the film starts in a wonderful way that they just don't do anymore. They showed the entire credits. Right. It looks like a stage and the credits are on cards that are being moved. And like you can almost imagine like people behind it, like lifting these cards up in sequence. I guess that's how they did it back then. But, you know, there's no special effects. It's just uh, cards being lifted one at a time. Right. So at the end of the film, it just said the end and then just went to black. There used to be previews for upcoming movies right after the the end. And that's why previews today are called trailers because they used to trail the movie. Right, right. But this film opens in the big city, and we find this uh, this woman, and she's very nervous. She's following a man. You know, she's not wearing an inconspicuous outfit. She's kind of wearing a sparkly uh, hat, so she's not very good at being a, a spy. Well, everyone in New York City is wearing a giant hat. That's true. The, the men are wearing fedoras. The women are wearing hats. And that, as like a test of time thing, hats aren't like a must of every outfit anymore. Some people like to wear a hat and some people like to wear baseball hats and whatever, but like 
According to this movie, everyone in New York City in 1949, man and woman, was wearing a hat. Different fashions, different cars, you see that definitely. But uh, this woman who's following this man around the city, she follows him into uh, what, what is a hotel and sees him go into a room. She eventually bursts into the room and finds a man uh, embracing another woman. Before she enters the room, this woman takes out a revolver. And not only does she take out the revolver, do you remember what she does? No. What? She takes out an instruction booklet and quickly reads how to use a revolver. Oh, I, I missed that. Yeah, she kicks in the door and she winds up shooting this man, but she is a terrible shot. She's almost like closing her eyes and shooting blindly. She literally has her eyes closed and is firing wildly around the room. Right, and she hits uh, one of the people in the room, the man, not fatally. She immediately embraces him and like, oh no, oh no, oh no. And then we see a husband and wife awaken in bed and they've gotten the newspaper brought to them in the morning. Right, and we see like the front page news of this woman who shot her husband. We find out that it's a woman who shot her husband because he was having an affair. And the headline that you see in the paper says, wife shoots fickle mate in presence of love rival. I mean, first off, Fickle mate is just funny, but there's a picture of her like cradling her husband in her arms after he's been shot on the front page of the news. And I was like, who the hell took that picture? Like the police show up after shots have been fired. I believe that they might find her cradling her husband like that. But who stopped to take a picture of it before they went to arrest her, check on him, you know, do the normal police things? I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, that, that is funny. So the husband and wife that were reading about this case in bed, this is uh, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, they are Adam and Amanda, their husband and wife. They're both lawyers. She's talking about what eventually was the equal rights movement. She's talking about how uh, women uh, do the same exact work as men, but they'll get paid less for the same job. And, you know, this is an era of women were definitely treated as second-class citizens. There's a part when, uh, when someone screams, ah, you lady drivers and uh you know like women can't drive there's, there's a lot of lines like this in this film well yeah and i thought that it was interesting just out of the gate that they're both lawyers she drives in new york city to work even though they both seem to work nearby or in the same building or something i was surprised by that because i would have imagined for a movie taking place in the 40s He'd be the attorney and she'd be the stay-at-home wife. But no, that is not what this movie is. Very quickly, you understand that both Adam and Amanda are, I guess you would call it, progressive. Like, she's a working woman. He respects his wife. They are both feminists, I guess. Yeah, and Amanda's talking about the case with a coworker of hers, and she's complaining about the double standard of infidelity. Like, if a man does it, uh, yeah, it's not really that nice. But if a woman cheats, I mean, that is just horrible. Look at what this uh, woman did. Oh, terrible, terrible. Yeah, I think that doesn't really stand the test of time. I think, generally speaking, if a husband cheats on a wife or if a wife cheats on a husband, both things are considered terrible now. Maybe there's a double standard, but I don't think there's a huge discrepancy like she's talking about in this movie. Perhaps. 
Um, Adam winds up getting this case. He goes along with the police to the hospital where um, the man who was shot, the victim, where he's being interviewed. This is very, very test of time. The mistress, who is still openly just uh, hanging out with him, she is smoking a cigarette in the hospital room. It's amazing. Right, right. The much funnier scene is with Amanda and the woman who shot her husband. That whole scene, I was cracking up. I thought it was really, really funny. It starts off when Amanda asks uh, this woman if she would like a cigarette. And she's like, no, I don't want that. Smoking isn't feminine, if you don't mind my saying so, while Amanda is clearly smoking in front of her. Amanda asks her how long she's been married, and she gives her answer in years, and then the number of months, and then the number of days, and the assistant is, like, jotting it down and, like, are you done? And she's very matter-of-fact about how she shot her husband, why she shot her husband, and Amanda's, like, asking lawyery questions of, you know, how did you feel after you did it? And this woman who shot her husband, her name's Doris, uh, her husband is Warren, but Doris says that after she shot Warren, she was hungry. She went to a diner and she got a hamburger and then she got another hamburger and then she had a pie and then she shot him and she was still hungry. And all of the dialogue in this scene I thought was really, really funny. Yeah, I really like the fact that she's completely oblivious to the amount of trouble she's in. Like, when can I go home? It's like, no, you're you're accused of attempted murder. Like, you're in a lot of trouble. And she's like, oh, I told the kids we go to Coney Island tomorrow. There's a little bit of a disconnect between Doris Attinger and reality. Yeah, perhaps. Um, well, later that night, uh, Adam and Amanda, they have a dinner party at home. It's black tie. Everyone's dressed in tuxedos. And then we're introduced to this very interesting character, Kip. He is this very handsome man that lives across the hall from them. And he plays the piano. He's very, very smooth on the piano. And he doesn't understand boundaries. I'm not married, Al, but uh, I would imagine if you met a gentleman that acted uh, the way that Kip acted towards Amanda, if if someone acted this way towards your wife, I think you would probably not enjoy it very much. No, I mean, he is actively, outwardly, repeatedly hitting on Amanda in front of Adam. It's inappropriate. It's rude. It's sort of written off that he's their neighbor, but also Amanda's client. Like uh, he's in showbiz and so he needs a lawyer and Amanda is his lawyer. So there's a professional relationship there as well. But whenever Adam like says something or complains about him, Amanda's like, oh, that's just Kip being Kip. And it's like, no, that's not okay. Then they go into this other room for their dinner party and watch home movies. And this is something that definitely does not stand the test of time. I cannot imagine having friends over to my place and showing them home movies. Doesn't that just sound like so cringy? Well, because this is like raw, unedited footage that you took on your some trip. And it's like people not talking because it's all silent. It, uh-huh. it looks incredibly boring. Well, yeah, exactly. It's super boring. And Adam's parents are at this dinner party. And I can maybe see, okay, if your parents come over showing them some home videos. But with friends? No, you would never do that. If you go on vacation and you have some cool video, you post it on Facebook and your friends see it. Or they don't. You're not going to have a portion of your dinner party specifically reserved for showing your friends home movies. Absolutely not. 
But the big thing that happens during the dinner party is that Amanda reveals that she's actually taken the case uh, on Doris's behalf. She's now going to be the defense attorney. So now you understand eh, this is what the movie is. It's a husband and wife on opposite sides of this uh, big court case. And they're arguing at bedtime. But they still very much love each other. For 1949, and for a movie that has absolutely no nudity, there is a lot of sex in this film. <laughs> Did you notice that? No, there's not any sex. Not actual sex, but they are, like, climbing on top of each other in bed. It's suggestive. But right, right. I'm suggest- there's a lot of scenes of suggested sex. Oh, okay, yeah, of suggested sex. Correct, correct. Suggested yeah, okay. Sex. Yeah, and then the next day when they're in court... They're each at their own tables, but Adam, like, knocks his pencil off of the desk, and then he goes under the table to get it, and then Amanda looks at him, and they're flirting with each other under the table in court, which, you know, you shouldn't do, but they are in love, and they love each other, and even though they're rivals, it's okay. That wink under the table... Only a couple that has been together for seemingly a long time and is still doing that, these two are madly in love. And I think that that was a really, really cute little thing they did. Yes, it is very, very clear that they love each other. And during the jury selection, Amanda is asking these potential jurors what they think about women and women's rights and if women should be treated equally. And some of these people are like, no, definitely not. Of course not. Why would you even ask me such a stupid question? Of course women aren't the same as men. And it seems like that's just a very common attitude. I did like some of the little throwaway lines in there when one of the jurors, she asks like what his occupation is. And he says that he works in infant's headgear, which I assume is a joke. I don't know if infants were wearing headgear in 1949. I took that as a joke and I thought it was funny. I have no idea. What, like the helmets or something? I have yeah, no I, idea what that is. Yeah, I assume like helmets. I, I don't know. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um... Later that night, there's another scene of that piano player, Kip, coming over, and he sings Amanda a song. I mean, the song is totally inappropriate, but he's just, again, just outwardly telling Amanda he's absolutely in love with her and she should be with him. Right. And Adam is clearly unhappy, but Amanda's like, oh, that Kip, it's a nice song. When Kip leaves after he plays his song, he says that he likes Amanda so much, he might just become a woman. And Adam says, well, he doesn't have far to go. And then I was wondering if they were insinuating that Kip is gay. Like maybe that was the point of that line. Also, though, that doesn't make sense because Kip is very clearly hitting on Amanda. So I wasn't really sure what they meant by that. You know, I have no idea. I thought that was very strange. But the next day, they're back in court. Warren Attinger's mistress is testifying, and she totally denies having a relationship with Warren Attinger. And we didn't say that the reason Adam and Amanda are on opposite sides is because they fundamentally look at this case differently. Adam thinks that what Doris Attinger did was wrong. She took a gun and fired it in a room with people that is against the law, and therefore she needs to be punished. Amanda's philosophy is that this woman is being treated to a double standard, and if it was a man, it would be totally different. The sexism is so rampant that that's why she's defending Doris. But at this point in the movie, I was thinking like, well, if Adam is all Mr. Law and Order, and if you break the law, then there have to be consequences no matter what, then he really shouldn't be too happy with this woman testifying on the stand and lying, perjuring herself, denying that she had a relationship with this guy when he knows that they're a couple. When he went to interview Warren at the hospital, she was there. 
they are clearly a couple. Yeah, but I don't think it's the DA's job to only put noble and honest people on the stand. The guy probably puts some scumbags on the on the stand too, and they're probably going to lie a little bit. But the important parts, placing the guy at the scene, at that part they'll get. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, and the the important part from this day is that the charges against Doris are specifically attempted murder. So she's arguing at this point that she only shot to scare them, that she wasn't actually aiming at anyone. And we did see in the beginning she has no idea how to use a gun. She's closing her eyes. So there's a little argument here. Amanda and Adam, they wind up uh, arguing in court. Uh, They're naked in their towels and they're arguing later at night. And he even slaps her on her butt. And they're, they're very playful, these, uh, these people. But the second he slaps her on the butt, she turns to him. And this is the first time in the movie that something he does is not playful, little flirting. And she goes, what the hell was that? And he's like, well, I just, yeah, I slapped you on the butt. And she goes, no, 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 I've been slapped on the butt like a thousand times from you. That was a different kind of slap. And I thought that was very interesting. Like she's, she's definitely like, the fuck you just do, man? That scene starts off like, really adorable like they're giving each other massages and not like the lazy kind of massages of like yeah or just kind of rub your back while we're watching tv like they are giving each other full rub downs and it's interesting because she's always talking about the double standard and there is a little bit of a double standard playing out in this scene she hits him on the butt it's fine he hits her on the butt it's not fine you're right and we find ourselves in court again and they're still winking under the table still in love this is the day amanda has to prove her case so she decides to prove that there's a double standard in society and she decides to bring all these extraordinary women to come in to testify you have scientists you have athletes you have a really strong woman who's so strong that she lifts adam like up in the air and her argument is essentially more of society being on trial not just doris right at this point, let me ask you, James, who do you agree with? Um, at this point, honestly, I, I could see where they're going with this. I, I just don't think what this woman did uh, is right. She went in and she shot someone. Now, the argument I could make, though, is that was it attempted murder? That I'm not sure about. You know, the, the prosecutor always has to pick the correct charge. Had the prosecutor picked, you know, first degree assault or maybe even some attempted manslaughter, that might be something that she's more guilty of. I'm not sure if she's guilty of attempted murder, but um, I still don't think she has any kind of reason to do what she did. So wait, so you're saying you're Team Adam at this point? I'm Team Adam at this point, yes. Okay. I found myself really kind of going back and forth a lot. And I was thinking of that movie we watched, A Time to Kill, with uh, Matthew McConaughey and Samuel L. Jackson, because in that movie, you see Samuel L. Jackson go into the courtroom and like shoot those guys that raped his daughter. In this movie, we see... Doris Attinger shoot at her husband. And in both movies, you know, the the shooter is on trial. We know that they did it. It's not like a mystery of did they pull the trigger or not. The answer to that question is yes, they certainly did. But the question is, were they justified in doing it? Are they allowed to do it? Should they have been allowed to do it? And that's where things get a little bit murky. I think that Amanda has some good points about a double standard However, at this point, when she brings all of these women into the courtroom, they're not relevant to the case. And when the woman lifts up Adam to show her strength, the judge or someone is like, you're making this courtroom into a circus. Like, she kind of is. Like, she's not really helping her case at this point. 
I think that at this point, Amanda's really hurting her own case. Well, I think she's making a very strong argument that has nothing to do with her case. And uh, they have a big fight that night, and Adam packs up uh, bags to leave. And you're not really sure how strong the marriage is right now. Well, he's really mad. I mean, he says that he's never been this mad, and she's apologizing. Basically, what he's saying is that he can be married to a strong, independent woman, but not this strong, and not this independent, and not this fierce in her beliefs. And now... Adam's the asshole. Now I'm full team Amanda because he has no right to be talking to her this way. He has no right to be acting this way. He's acting like a petulant child, you know, who didn't get the ice cream he wanted for dessert. Oh, he absolutely overreacted to that woman lifting him up in court. But uh, the closing arguments are basically, you know, they make their cases and Amanda says, you know, just think about it sort of in the same way that the closing argument of uh, A Time to Kill went. Yeah. And she basically just says, just imagine if this case was reversed and it was a man that came in and saw his wife with another man and he just went nuts and started shooting. Her argument seems to work because uh, the verdict is not guilty. There's a circus outside with the media. Suddenly they're taking pictures of Doris with her husband and their kids. They're acting like a happy family or something. It's really weird. And the mistress, too. Right. And, I mean, the cover story is that the mistress, like, wasn't really the mistress. He sells insurance, and so she was buying insurance from him. But I don't really think anyone buys that. And... They're trying to get pictures of Adam and Amanda together, and there's clearly unhappiness between Adam and Amanda. Amanda's happy that she won, but she realizes that she may have lost her husband in the process. Yeah, and so she's totally upset. Amanda goes back to the apartment building, and she goes across the hall to Kip, the uh, the piano player's apartment. And, oh boy, uh, Kip definitely uh, sees an opportunity here. Right. He's giving her wine and putting his arm around her and and just saying repeatedly that lawyers shouldn't marry lawyers. Lawyers should marry piano players. And now I'm not on Team Amanda again because Amanda's just kind of ignoring it and not really paying attention to it. And yeah, she's in her own world and she's not really focused on anything he's doing. But eventually she's like, now I've got half a mind to slap you or something like that. And She shouldn't be there. She should not be with this guy. It's understandable that she's upset. It's understandable that she needs someone to talk to. But she should not be there with Kip. And when Adam is outside, he looks up into the apartment and he sees, you know, like a silhouette. And he assumes that they are together and embracing because he's kind of hugging her, putting his arm around her. And he goes into Kip's apartment holding a gun. And... I thought that this was a really interesting, clever turn because now the thing that they were arguing about in court with this other married couple, the Attingers, now it's happening. And now it's the man who's showing up with a gun and he's jealous. And I was really, really interested to see how this scene was going to play out. And the way it plays out is that Amanda's like, you don't have a right to do this. Nobody has a right to do it. And Adam's like, oh, really? So I was right. And then he takes the gun, puts it into his own mouth. And the two of them are like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And he takes a bite of it because it's licorice. And it's a good thing that this movie was shot in not even standard def, whatever kind of low definition they had in 1949. 
and that it was in black and white. Right. Because it looked like a real gun to me. Apparently, it looked like a real gun to them because it's 1949 and color hasn't been invented yet. Um, and then when he takes a bite, I'm like, oh, well, it was chocolate. And he's like, no, it's licorice. Like, licorice? Who could take that huge a bite of licorice? <laughs> right. He just like, it, like, it's nothing. It's like a big chunk of this solid gun that's made out of licorice. I feel like you can only take like little pieces of licorice at a time. Some weird people really like black licorice. I don't understand it. Oh, I guess it must have been black licorice. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, black licorice is extra disgusting. Yeah, but I have this friend. Oh, my God. He likes this disgusting candy bar. He loves Almond Joys. Oh, my God. This guy is such a loser. What's the disgusting candy bar that he likes? You mentioned Uh, that he loves Almond Joys, and those are amazing. But what's the disgusting one that he likes? Oh, my God. Almond Joys and Mounds. Oh, my God. When you get those on Halloween, those are still there in that bag the next Halloween. False. Patently false. Everyone loves those. (laughs) That is so, so stupid. Uh, No, black licorice is disgusting, and you can't put them in the same category as the deliciousness of Almond Joy and Mounts. At the very least, when you get very desperate when you're like eight years old and all the Halloween candy is gone, at the very least, you could take out the Almond Joy and bite around. (laughs) You could try to bite the chocolate off of the outside. So basically, all you're saying is you don't like coconut. Uh, I, I don't mind some coconut, but that kind of coconut is gross. No, you're crazy. Um, <laughs> the point is, is that licorice is gross. Black licorice is extra gross. And taking a giant bite of any kind of licorice is just not a thing any normal human being would ever do. But Adam did all of this to prove a point, And this creates a huge fight between Adam and Amanda. And now I am back on Team Amanda because Adam was such an asshole. And as a husband, I can relate a little bit. When you get into a big fight, sometimes you really just want to prove a point. You want to prove that you're right. That becomes the most important thing. But... Obviously, it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is your marriage and your relationship. And if you're right or she's right, who gives a shit? It doesn't really matter. But because of this stunt with the licorice gun, Amanda and Adam seem like they're going to divorce. And I had never seen this movie before. I thought the movie was going to end with them splitting up. And I thought that would have been a real bummer of an ending. Yeah, Lisa, the next scene, which is them in some sort of accountant's office where they're dividing the assets. And at one point, they're dividing something that was very sentimental to them. And Adam just starts crying. It's just too much for him to break up something that they had hoped to share together for the rest of their lives. It was their house in Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, the house in Connecticut that they had. And she sees how much he's passionate about it, must be passionate about her, and that they call it off, the divorce. And later that night, they're back together. And... Adam says that he's running for the Republican nominee for county judge. And Amanda jokes that she might run as the Democrat nominee. Right. Because she's got that fighting spirit and they're lovers, but also sometimes a little bit adversaries. And that's kind of their thing. Well, then Adam says, uh, you're not going to run. And she goes, why? And he goes, 
because then I would just start crying. And she goes, what do you mean? And then he shows her the crying that he did in the office earlier that day. He says that he's able to just turn on the crying at any moment. And he says that this is what a woman would do. And a woman could turn on their emotions on and off. You know, any man can cry if he just let himself. And we can do the same thing you can. So equality goes both ways. Ha ha. Right. It's also a callback to earlier in the movie when they were fighting and Amanda started crying. And he's like, what, you think you're going to start crying and not that'll move me? No way. But now Adam thinks that he's proving his point with this tears charade. But then Amanda's saying, no, no, that just proves my point that men and women are equal. And if a woman can do something, the man can do the exact same thing. So we are equal. Is that what you're saying, Adam? And Adam says, no, well, there's a little difference. And so is there a difference? Is there not a difference? They ultimately settle on that there is a little difference. And it's like the French say, viva la difference. Hooray for the little difference. And that's where the movie ends. It made me think of that episode of The Simpsons when Principal Skinner is like in trouble for saying that girls aren't good at math and he can't figure out what he's supposed to say, what the correct thing to say is. Here, listen to what he's saying when he's trying to figure out what to say. Are you saying that men and women are identical? No, no, of course not. Women are unique in every way. No, he's saying women and men aren't equal. No, no, no. It's the differences of which there are none that make the saneness exceptional. Just tell me what to say. That's definitely what I was thinking of watching this scene. And it doesn't just end right there. He says, Viva la difference. And then he climbs on top of her. They're getting busy. And then it says the end. Right. But because we're at the end of the movie, James, do you think that Adam's rib stands the test of time? You know, I actually was watching this film and I knew it was kind of a shorter film. So I thought that the movie kind of was ending with the court case. And I really was on Team Adam. I was like, this guy is a scumbag, this this husband that cheated on his wife. But it's not a capital offense. You can't shoot someone for this. And I, I didn't really think her argument in court was that convincing. I thought it was a very good feminist argument, but it's not a defense for attempted murder. And when she was found not guilty, I'm like, am I supposed to like cheer for this? Because I guess she's found not guilty because... The jury is seeing something about equal rights, something. But then with the twist, I was totally not expecting the twist. I loved that twist. And it completely saved the film for me, which was that scene where it was like, yeah, you won this court case. But now you realize, you know, even though you were right in the things you said, all those things you said about the double standards, it doesn't necessarily mean that just because a woman is treated poorly in society, she could do this. And you also got to see two great uh, actors. I've really never seen Katherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy. And I get why they were, like, beloved. She is so good. He is just one of these, like, he's a manly actor. No, I don't mean manly like Clint Eastwood. He plays this role well. And I just think it's well cast. I think this Kip guy is very well cast, too. I think it's short and sweet. And the only boring part, and maybe it's supposed to be boring, was the whole movie is where it was, like, unbearable watching that two minutes. <laughs> but I, I'm not sure if everyone's supposed to watch it and go, oh, yeah, I hate watching those at Grandma's, too, or something like that. But other than that, I thought the film was very enjoyable. And uh, 
I'm glad I randomly picked this film. So I think it stands the test of time. I thought it got a lot of stuff that would still stand up today. And uh, what do you think, Al? Does it stand the test of time? Well, I think that there is a lot of stuff in here that does stand the test of time. The fact that there is a double standard between men and women is still true. The fact that there's still sexism, there's still misogyny. It would be great to say that that doesn't stand the test of time, but it's all still here. And I think that the movie does a really good job of showing that there are two sides of this issue. But ultimately, in the end, you can be Team Adam, you can be Team Amanda, but they're both right. What Doris Attinger did was wrong, and there's a double standard. Both things are correct. I sometimes think about Marissa Mayer. You remember her? She was a CEO at Yahoo. Yeah, I remember her. So I worked at AOL when AOL had already been bought by Verizon and when Verizon was buying Yahoo and they were merging the two companies. And I worked in communications. So part of the job was seeing like what the media coverage was about that story. And Marissa Mayer, by all accounts, was a pretty bad CEO. She did not do well. Yahoo did very poorly under her leadership. Also, the AOL CEO, a guy named Tim Armstrong, was also not a great CEO, and AOL declined a great deal under his leadership. But in the press coverage, it was all about her. She got a much, much worse rap than he ever did. And you can say two things that are both true. She was a bad CEO, and she was a victim of misogyny and sexism. Those are not mutually exclusive. They are both correct. And in this movie, you see that these two quote-unquote opposing viewpoints are both right. And I think the movie does a really, really good job of threading that needle, of making you root for Adam and root for Amanda and root against Adam and root against Amanda. I felt like I was going back and forth. I like this one. I like that one. And I thought it was just really, really well done. The rat-a-tat dialogue, I don't know what else to call it. Rat-a-tat maybe doesn't stand the test of time itself, but they talk so rapid fire. They have such great chemistry. I think I read this was the sixth movie that they had done together, Catherine Hepburn and, and Spencer Tracy. They have such great chemistry. They have such great rapport. The way that they talk to each other, uh, they call each other Pinky, like Pinky and Pinky. One's P-I-N-K-I-E and one's P-I-N-K-Y. They have the same nickname for each other. And uh, he accidentally calls her Pinky in court. And it's kind of funny. They are just so great together. I loved watching them together. I didn't watch this movie with Courtney. I wish I had, because I feel like she would have really enjoyed it. I think this is a great movie. I think it definitely stands the test of time. Yeah, there are things about it that are kind of eye-rolly with the whole movie. And I hate Kip, and Kip is the absolute worst. But I think the movie as a whole is really good, really enjoyable, and absolutely stands the test of time. I was surprised. I was not expecting to like this movie as much as I did. But uh, I very much enjoyed it. Great pick, James. I'm glad you liked it. And, you know, back then, I think the studios like MGM would have contracts with actors. Like, you're doing a 10-picture deal with us. And, like, you're stuck with us until it's over. So that's why a lot of these actors and actresses work together. Because, you know, they're both MGM-owned. So that's why they probably work together so many times. All right. Well, it was a good pick. Thank you for this movie. I enjoyed watching it. Next week, we're going to be talking about a movie 
that's also about a married couple going through something difficult. It's a very different kind of uh, challenge that this married couple is facing. But we're going to talk about the 1997 movie Breakdown. That should be fun. I think I've only watched that movie once before. You lent me the DVD. So I'm not going to ask you if you've seen it because I know you have. Oh, I have. I own the DVD, actually. Yeah, exactly. Um, but until then, as always, we want to hear from you guys at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you still haven't written a nice review on Apple Podcasts, do it. Do it right now. Do it right this very, very second. I insist. I mean, do you write reviews for other podcasts? Because if you do, then it would be a double standard if you don't write one for us, right? We don't like double standards. See what you did there. Yeah, exactly. Tied it all back. Bye, everybody. Bye.